So this is Genesis chapter 39, starting at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought, brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. It's great. Thank you, Shona, so much for reading. Keep that open in front of you and we'll think through what the Lord is saying to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you again that you have given us your word. You've given us insight into your will and your desire for us. 
And we pray that your spirit would be mightily at work in our hearts, taking the words I say, that we might hear the words of you uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Ages ago on the BBC, Jeremy Paxman uh, presented a couple of programs called Empire. And it was a look back at the British Empire and how people throughout the empire had lived and the kind of things that they got up to. And one of the odd things the British loved to do in far-flung parts of the world was to have a bit of Britain there. And that usually meant setting up a kind of a social club in the heart of the community. And the Brits would seem to spend most of their time in this social club, whether it was in Singapore or Burma or India, they would go to this club and they would eat British food, sausage and mash, Melton Mowbray pork pies, tinned apricots. On the, on the walls were pictures of, of Queen Victoria. And then in the afternoon, they'd play cricket or croquet. I guess they were wanting to kind of protect their Britishness. And to be fair, actually, Brits are still the same today when we go on holiday. I don't know about you, but take your favorite cereal with you. Uh, you kind of keep your customs. You take all your favorite food. Uh, you want to just be a bit, you know, we're not very trusting of other uh, kind of food and those kind of things. Uh, we still like a little bit of that isolation. But when you go far from home, there is that kind of conundrum, isn't there? Do, do you isolate or do you assimilate? Joseph finds himself far from home. He has been taken as a slave to Egypt. We, as Christians, are far from home. And the question for us is then, well, what do we do? Do we isolate or do we assimilate? Joseph, in this chapter, gives us some insight into how we can answer those questions. First of all, the Lord is with us when we are far from home. The Lord is with us when we are far from home. So have a look down at verse one. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now this is a little bit odd, isn't it? Because the Joseph story, in some ways, it starts with so much optimism. He's loved by his father. He has these dreams that, that picture a glorious future. One day he's going to be some kind of king. But then from the moment that he's had those dreams, everything seems to have gone wrong for Joseph. He's been kidnapped. He's been left for dead. He's been sold to human traffickers. And he ends up a slave in Egypt. It's been kind of downhill for Joseph. Maybe the Lord doesn't have great plans for him. Must have been kind of going through his head, mustn't it? But we must be careful, mustn't we, about measuring God's pleasure with us by the circumstances of our life. Because you look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The death threats, the kidnapping, the trafficking, the slavery. You might think that the Lord was displeased with Joseph. The redundancy. The difficult children, the pay cuts, the health scares. You might think the Lord is displeased with you. But verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. That's true. But then you read the next couple of words. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now surely that is saying... Your circumstances are evidence of the Lord's pleasure with you. Joseph prospered because the Lord was with him. 
Well, then look down to the end of the chapter, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord is with Joseph when he's at the top, and he's with Joseph when he's at the bottom. We've just got to be careful that we're about measuring God's pleasure with us, his presence with us by our circumstances. Joseph was far from home, but the Lord was with him. So how does the man of God, the woman of God, someone who the Lord is with, how do they live when they are far from home? Is it isolation or is it assimilation? Well, look at the rest of verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. It's not isolation, is it? Joseph is far from home. He's been kidnapped and enslaved. And you could understand if he thought, why should I help Potiphar? I'm going to do all I can to ambush these people who have enslaved me. But it's the opposite. Joseph faithfully and humbly serves in the house of Potiphar. It's not isolation. And through the Lord's kindness, everything he touches turns to gold. He ends up being a blessing to Potiphar. A little bit like last week, the oppressed blesses the oppressor. And I think we are meant to see Joseph here as someone to imitate. Because there is something universal about Joseph, something Adam-like about Joseph. Is he like Adam in many ways, right at the beginning of the Bible? It is held up as what it means to be human. Adam and Eve, right there at the beginning. So, so Joseph is pictured as someone think of what it means to be human. Let me show you. Back in Genesis 1, the Lord creates mankind in his image. He creates them male and female. And in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, there are three things that overlap with this Joseph story. The Lord commands mankind to rule, to have dominion. And he commands Adam and Eve to have dominion over all things. And he brings blessing. And you get all of those here with Joseph. Joseph is given rule and dominion. Three times we're told that he, uh, Potiphar put him in charge of his household. Here's your dominion, Joseph. And Joseph is given rule and mastery over everything. Verse 4, Potiphar entrusted to his care everything he owned. Verse 5, Joseph oversaw all that Potiphar owned. Verse 6, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. There's dominion, there's rule over all things, and then there's blessing. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. You see, if Adam shows us, uh, Adam and Eve show us God's uh, original plan for humanity, then Joseph shows us what it looks like to be human in a fallen world. He is Adam-like, 
but now in a fallen world. When you're no longer in the Garden of Eden, when you're far from home, when you've been kidnapped and enslaved, what does it mean to be human then? Joseph shows us. It means being a humble and faithful servant. How do you live faithfully when you're far from home? Wherever the Lord has put you, whatever responsibility or or domain he has given you, dominion he has given you, take responsibility for it and humbly serve. See, when we read Genesis 1 about God calling humanity to have dominion and rule over all things, it sounds glamorous, doesn't it? Sounds like kingdoms and important positions and respect and recognition and a career and whatever. But for Joseph, it meant faithfully serving as a slave. When you're living far from home, often you will find that you have a role, a responsibility, a calling, a dominion that you wouldn't have chosen parent children who are difficult to parent, to work in a job that you have no real desire for, to be in a marriage that feels far short of what you dreamed it would be, to work for a boss who is a tyrant or clueless or an interfering micromanager, to be tied down caring for elderly parents. Now, if you can change your job, well, great. If you can change your circumstances, great, but very often we can't. We find ourselves stuck in these positions. And inside, there's a bit of us that's saying, this isn't fair. I didn't choose this. This is not the life I dreamed I would have. And I imagine Joseph might have thought the same things. You see, it's not as if Joseph chose the responsibility and the life that he ended up with. I don't imagine he sat down with his careers advisor when he was 14 and said, you know what I want to be when I'm older? I want to be human trafficked and become a slave in Egypt. But Joseph humbly and faithfully serves. He rules over the dominion that the Lord has given him. And the New Testament calls us to do the same. Colossians 3, 22, it'll be on the screen. Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. How do you do that? Obey your masters in everything. How do you do it? How do you serve wherever the Lord has put you? Even if your boss is a tyrant, or you dislike the calling that you have. Paul goes on, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Whatever you do, whatever responsibility, whatever dominion the Lord has given you, be faithful and humble because ultimately you aren't serving Potiphar or your boss or your children, or your husband, or your wife. You're serving Jesus. And he is delighted in us when we humbly and faithfully and quietly serve in the domain that we have been given. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, the narrator is being given this kind of tour of heaven. 
And at one point, he witnesses an incredible procession. He writes, first came bright spirits who danced and scattered flowers. Then on the left and right at each side of the forest avenue came youthful shapes, boys upon one hand and girls upon the other. Between them went musicians. And after these, a lady in whose honor all this was being done. And the narrator wonders aloud who this lady could be. Is she someone divine? Such is the honor that is being bestowed upon her. And his guide replies, no, not at all. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. You read the story, Sarah Smith is a, a nobody on earth. But she was faithful in all that the Lord gave her to do. She showed kindness, she worked hard. And heaven was delighted in her. She was honored in glory. How do you live far from home? It's not isolation. You humbly serve where the Lord has put you. Some of you will spend the next few years caring for your children, giving up a career to change nappies. And let's be honest, babies sometimes are far harder masters than Potiphar probably was. They demand to be fed and changed and cleaned up day after day, the same thing, none of it glamorous, none of it particularly valued by the world. But the Lord Jesus delights to see you serve him in this way. Some of you will spend many hours caring for a dying or, or sick friend or parent, sitting with them, gently mopping their lips when they go dry, talking with them even when they can't talk back, feeding them, and putting a straw to their mouth so they can drink. Glamorous? No. Valued by the world? Not really. But it is evidence that the Lord is with you. And it is pleasing in the Lord's eyes. You can think about whatever your situation is and work through the same kind of things. Maybe not glamorous. Maybe not valued by the world. But wherever the Lord has put us to faithfully and humbly serve... It is pleasing in his eyes. How do you live far from home? You humbly serve where the Lord has put you. So the Lord is with us far from home. He gives us responsibility. Secondly, though, the devil is against us when we are far from home. Now, look, sadly, the success, the peace, the joy, it doesn't last for Joseph. And the hardest bit in his downfall, well, none of it is his fault. In fact, we're going to see he ends up in another pit because he did the right thing. Remember I said earlier that there is something Adam-like about Joseph. The connections continue. Back in the Garden of Eden, the Lord said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden. You, you can go crazy. Enjoy yourself. Except one thing, one prohibition, one bit of food you cannot have. And what does Potiphar say to Joseph in verse 6? So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. 
That is, Joseph had responsibility over everything in Potiphar's household except one area, Potiphar's food. Now, there is good reason to think that Potiphar is referring to something other than his food, that he's probably talking about his wife. And we know that because that's how Joseph hears it. Listen to what he says in verse 9, talking to Potiphar's wife. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. The Lord said to Adam and Eve, everything in the garden is yours to enjoy, except this one thing. Potiphar says to Joseph, everything in my household is yours to enjoy and be responsible over, except this one thing. And just like Adam and Eve were tempted, so Joseph is tempted by that one thing. Look down at verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. See, when you are far from home, the devil is against you. Satan will do all that he can to entice you away from faithful living, to assimilate you into the values of the world around And sometimes he is against us aggressively. He will use threats and fear and shame to get us to abandon God. Do this, think this, comply with our standard, otherwise we'll fire you or we'll shame you or we'll take away your freedoms. Sometimes Satan tries to get at us through hard aggression. But more often, Satan will come at us with generous gifts. It's how he got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eat this fruit, have this, and your life will be a thousand times better. And it's how he tries to get Joseph in Potiphar's house. Joseph, you are a slave. You'll never have a chance to marry. You'll never get to lie with a woman. Here, take Potiphar's wife. She's offering herself to you. Take it. I need to give you a trigger warning here. I'm going to talk about the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Those of you who've seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang will know why you need a trigger warning. I don't think there's ever been a more creepy and terrifying character in the history of children's stories. The child catcher is like the devil. He rocks up into town with a cart that looks like it's about sweets and cakes. And he says to the children, come in, come in, have some sweets, have some cakes, fill yourselves with joy and happiness. And as soon as the two children walk in, slam, the sides come crashing down and they are trapped. When we are far from home, the devil is against us and sometimes through threat and fear, but often through gifts and pleasure. After a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And do you know what the hardest thing in all of this is, as we try and fight against the devil? It's that often the devil is right. Take what he's offering, and very often there is pleasure. There is happiness. Life is easier. If Joseph had given in, If he had slept with Potiphar's wife, life would have been easier for him. 
he wouldn't have ended up in the pit again. And so it's hard, isn't it? Because whatever the devil is offering, it often does bring us pleasure or happiness or ease or comfort. I recently heard of a guy who left his wife and two children to live with another woman. Two of his children had disabilities and he was honest about why he left. He basically said, I've only got one life. I don't want the stress, the hassle, the heartache of having to care for two disabled children. So he left. And I'm sure his life is easier than it would have been if he had stayed. Here, have this. Take this. Choose this. And your life will be a thousand times better, says the devil. And often he is right. So how do you resist that? Well, Joseph shows us. Potiphar's wife demands that Joseph sleep with him and listen to his reply, verse 8. He refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? We, we think he should say Potiphar. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? And sometimes the pain we might cause someone else, the thought of the hurt and the damage that we might do to someone else because we listen to the devil, that is enough to bring us to our senses. But there is an even more powerful loyalty, a more powerful love that helps us resist Satan. And it is our loyalty and our love to God. Joseph actually says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, it's out of love and loyalty to the Lord that Joseph says no to Potiphar's wife, even though it would probably mean his life is a thousand times better. And Joseph must have had a deep love and a deep loyalty to the Lord. Because listen to verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be near her. Every day she tries to seduce him. Every day she tries to draw him in. Joseph must have had such a grasp of the beauty and the power and the glory of his God, such a love for his God, that day after day he was able to say no. I used to know nothing about Greek mythology and all those kind of ancient writings, the Iliad, the Odyssey, but then I married Laura. And uh, I'm very aware that I married up. And, and, and of an evening, I might be catching up on the Formula One highlights or football highlights, and I turn over and there's Laura reading the Iliad or the Odyssey or whatever. But it means I've learned a few things. In Greek mythology, there are the sirens. These are women-like creatures who live on an island, and, and every time a ship goes past, they sing such beautiful songs to try and entice the sailors onto the island. And the sailors would try different things. Some would block their ears. Odysseus tied himself to the mast. But Orpheus did something different. 
He took out his lyre and played such beautiful music that the beauty and allure of the sirens faded in comparison. That's what Joseph is doing. He is filled with such an awareness of the goodness and the beauty and the righteousness and the majesty and the glory of his God that the pleasure and attraction of Satan's offers fade. How can you resist Satan when you are far from home? Fill your heart with the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the Lord. Love him above all else. Know that Jesus Christ is infinitely more precious than all that the world could offer. And sometimes that resistance will look like flight. Joseph flees, verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. She's moved from words to physically forcing him into her bed. And Joseph knows that now is the time to flee. Sometimes you just need to run away. Like Jesus says in the Gospels, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your phone is causing you to sin, if it is stopping you being the husband or the wife or the parent or the friend that you should be, if it is enticing you into dark places, throw it away. If at work we are being drawn to someone else's husband or wife, move jobs, move departments. If our friends are continually leading us away from Christ, get some new friends. When you're far from home and Satan has you in his sights, sometimes you just need to flee. But we can't always run away, can we? We can't always escape the thoughts in our head or the internal temptations of our heart. We can't always change job. Sometimes we need to stand and fight. Now, in many ways, Joseph is a greater Adam. Because Adam and Eve, they caved in at the first opportunity, didn't they? But one moment of temptation, they caved in. They, they took the fruit. Joseph resisted and he fled from Satan's temptation. So yes, Joseph is a greater Adam, but Jesus is the greater Joseph because he did not flee when faced with Satan and temptation. He fought and he won. He fought with Satan in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry when Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the earth without the cross. Jesus fought and Satan fled. He fought with Satan when he called out demonic spirits and they cowered before Jesus and fled from his presence. And he fought with Satan when his closest disciple Peter tried to stop Jesus going to the cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus fought with Satan in the upper room as he was sharing the Last Supper when Satan filled Judas and Jesus said to Judas, go, do what you must do. And Judas and Satan left. Jesus never ran away from Satan. He didn't run away from Satan even when it meant going to the cross. And there he fought his fiercest battle and he won. 
Jesus is the greater Joseph. He doesn't flee. He stands toe to toe with Satan and he fights and he wins. And because he has won, we too can fight and win because we serve this Jesus, not Satan. And he is infinitely more powerful. There's a beautiful prayer that I sometimes pray when facing the enticements of the devil. May it be known that the power of heaven is greater than the power of hell. In this battle that I am facing, Lord, may it be known that the power of heaven is greater than the powers of hell. Jesus, help me fight because I can fight because you fought and you won. Help me fight so that all the powers of hell would know that you are not only my Lord, but their Lord as well. May it be known that the power of heaven is greater than the power of hell in whatever battle I am facing. We are far from home. Do we isolate? No. Do we assimilate? No. We are far from home. The Lord is with us. Sometimes it might mean we do extraordinary things that change the world, but often it means we faithfully and humbly serve where the Lord has put us. We are far from home. The devil is against us. Sometimes we flee. It is right to flee. And sometimes we stand and fight. But always we resist. Moment of quiet, and then I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that prayer right now in our battles, in our temptations, in our fights with the devil. May it always be known that the power of heaven is greater than the power of hell. May your spirit fill us with such a love and an understanding and a comprehension of the beauty, wonder and goodness of Christ that we will always have the desire to resist. That like Joseph, We couldn't comprehend the thought of sinning against you. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that wherever you've called us, whatever place that you have put us, whatever responsibility, dominion that you have given us, help us to serve as those serving for Christ. To know that he takes great pleasure in that faithful and humble service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.